Good morning, everyone. So glad that each and every one of you are here this morning, that God has brought you here this morning. I wanted to, uh, to open up by reading something that just struck me the other day um, about why we go to church. This is something from uh, uh, one of my favorite all-time Christian artists, Rich Mullins, and he went to be with the Lord years ago. But listen to what he says. I never understood why going to church made you a hypocrite because nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't need to go. You can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people who, who pass you on the way there, to the people who, you, who will greet you there, that you don't have it all together and that you need their support, you need their direction, you need some accountability, you need some help. So us coming here this morning is not saying that we're perfect. It's saying that we need each other, but most of all, we need Jesus. We need God. So as we stand and sing this morning, I pray that that is just our hearts, is that, Lord, we just, we need you. So let's stand and, uh, and worship the Lord together. Salvation 
two beautiful children one is named Emerson our my daughter is Emerson she's seven years old and then I have Lincoln Lincoln is my boy my boy is four years old and uh, they're the blessing of my life I have a son named Austin Austin um, turned 15 in February Austin was born with Down syndrome and uh, four years ago Katie and I started fostering Austin. He was a student in my classroom. And then two years ago, Katie and I ended up adopting Austin as our own. I have three children, uh, Shannon, who is 32, uh, Michael, who is 30, and Sarah, who is 21. And I also have two grandchildren, Ethan, who's five, and Naomi, who's three. What brings me joy about my children is seeing them grow, to see that, or bring me joy to just come home and them to hug me after a long day of work, and to see my children wanting to run into my arms and, and tell me that they love me. The biggest thing that brings me joy about Austin is his affection. Austin um, has this unbelievable gift of knowing where somebody's heart is. He'll, he'll ask us if, if, if he hasn't heard us laugh for a while, he'll say, he'll say, John, laugh, Katie, laugh. Just because he, he gets so much joy from us having joy. I think the greatest joy is watching the, our children grow. It's been uh, very interesting to see how each one handles things differently and also uh, grandchildren. Um, the fact that they're always happy to see me and that, uh, as my grandson said, he will love me forever. A most common challenge is getting ready for bed. No kid likes to get ready for bed, but Austin, you know, if he's playing with his toys or reading a book, you can say it's time to get ready for bed. And you can hear it in his voice or you can just see it in his body language that 
that's not what's on his schedule. And sometimes he'll just completely ignore you and just keep doing what he's doing. Unpredictable things. That's a challenge. It's unpredictable. We're, with me and my wife, we're kind of predictable of what we do to each other. But as the children, they're very unpredictable. And that's, that's a challenge in itself. I think the hardest thing at that stage of life I'm in now is watching them um, struggle. Grandchildren never cause trouble or challenges, but they do wear me out. You know, Austin has really brought so much joy to Katie and I. He's, he's done a ton for Katie and I's marriage, really has taught us how to be a team. Um, and, and just from the gifts that Austin's given Katie and I in just the two years he's lived with us, I, w I would give my life for Austin. Um, he may not be a, my biological son, but, but I love him as one. Um, I, I will always consider him one, and I will, and I will always treat and act as, as his father um, from birth, even though I, I will always know I'm not. Um, it, it's, it will never be a matter to me. It will never be an issue for me. I will, I will do whatever I could to protect and, and make Austin strive in life. I think I'd sacrifice you know, pre pretty much my life my children, I think uh, anything. I mean, if I could provide, uh, give them, you know, some kind of shelter or, or vehicle or trying to provide them the best education, the best um, um, spiritual guidance, I think them are the things that are really critical in their lives. Because they're a part of me and uh, God has given them to me and to uh, care for and he's entrusted us uh, with that and so uh, as he gave his life for us, I could see how I couldn't do the same for my kids or give them anything that I would have. wonderful crowd we have today. And you know what's amazing? They told y'all that I was going to be speaking. And, and, and you came uh, anyway. Yeah. And I, I thank you for being here today. And it's a special day, uh, Father's Day. And Glenda had asked me, you know, what do you want for Father's Day? I said, well, I'd like breakfast in bed. And so she said, sleep in the kitchen. <laughs> but uh, she did give me a good, a good breakfast. And uh, Every day, uh, to, to her honor, every day she treats me like it's Father's Day. Uh, and then whatever she does, whatever she buys me, she puts it on my credit card. <laughs> but um, uh, it is a wonderful day, and I, I won't get a call today from Andrew. I used to always get a call, but uh, he's too busy enjoying being with the Lord and being with my grandmother, his grandmother, my mother. My mother probably has been designated as the hostess of heaven. And anybody that comes through, she greets them and gives them, feeds them food and uh, talks to them and all that. 
But if he couldn't be with us on, on this earth in this life, the only other place I would want him or any of my children or any of you, if you can't be here, I would rather you be with the Lord. And because there's no better place to be, we forget that that's where our citizenship is. We are citizens there, and we're sojourners here. This is a temporary thing. And one day, uh, if you know the Lord, we're all going to be going there. And uh, what a shame if you're here and you don't know the Lord, because you now know the truth, that Jesus Christ is the one who died for your sins, and there's no other name under heaven uh, that's given by which we can be saved. It's faith in Christ and in nothing else. And uh, God saves us by his wonderful uh, grace through what he accomplished with his own son uh, on the cross. I was thinking about this morning and what uh, I would speak on, and the Lord kind of nudged my heart back to the Old Testament. I, I enjoy going back to the Old Testament and reading about people and how they live their lives. And uh, I chose this morning, oh, if you're a part of Children's Church, you, you can go. You, you've heard enough of all the rest of the stuff. But I want to talk from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 14, where it tells us something about the man Caleb. And you remember Caleb, he was one of two men. Joshua was the other. Joshua and Caleb, when they uh, uh, went, went out with the other ten spies to look at the land of Canaan, they came back and they were pretty positive about it. But uh, the other ten says, no way. You know, there's giants there, there and all kind of stuff. But um, his life, I think, is a good illustration for us of starting well and finishing strong. Uh, I love the music we sang. Uh, I told Joe, I gave him just a, I said, we're going to talk about the power of God. We're going to talk about God's faithfulness and all that. And he chose the songs, and boy, they were right, right on target. And by the way, when we were singing those praise hymns, you don't have to raise your hand, but were any of you thinking about bad stuff? You know, when you're, when you're singing praise to, to God, it, it turns your mind and, and your, your heart upward. And that's why I listen to that stuff when I'm driving, because it helps me deal with all the nuts who are cutting in front of you or, or changing lanes without letting you know. Uh, I'm just going along singing my praise music, and sometimes I'm kind of doing this with the steering wheel, and my car is doing this. And I got pulled over one time, and uh, they wanted to know if I'd been drinking. I said, no, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. That, that's the only spirit I've got in me. But um, I enjoy the praise music because it does lift our hearts up. And I enjoy looking into the scriptures to see how many of God's servants, they, were, they worshiped him, and they were faithful to do that. They did it all through their life. And uh, if it hasn't already happened to you, let's see, I've got to get the right one. Oh, I've got to turn it on. It's all, oh, no. oh, yeah, now it's on. Wrong way. Peter Marshall, who uh, he was the chaplain of the United States Senate back in the 
40s and 50s maybe, he made a statement. He said, it's a fact in the Christian experience that life is a series of troughs, troughs and peaks. I'm going to use the word valleys. (laughs) It's, It's too early in the morning for me to try to deal with it. A trough. A trough is a thing horses drink out of, you know. But uh, that's what life is. And I think we all agree with that. It's a series. Sometimes we're on the mountain and sometimes we're down in the valley. A couple of weeks ago, we went to the furthest part of the valley we've ever been to. But we found out that God was there. And we've been to the top of the mountain and God is there. And all the way in between. But uh, we, we have these things, they come into our life. And a lot of people, when they hit the troughs or the, the troughs or the valleys, they kind of throw in the towel. You know, how could a God who loves me let, me let this happen to me? And they assume that, well, he really doesn't love me, therefore I don't love him. And they kind of just put God away. But I love to see illustrations of people who, no matter whether they're down or up, no matter whether it's the trough or the peak, uh, they remain faithful and steady. And Caleb was that kind uh, of a man. Uh, In Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 to to, uh, 13, he's going to basically give his autobiography. Uh, He's going to talk about the events of his life that have brought him to where he is at that point. And remember, uh, after he and, uh, and, and Joshua, uh, he and uh, Joshua had gone into the land to spy it out, and they brought back the report, uh, the majority decided we can't do it. And so God said, every one of you, 21 or older, uh, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until you die. You'll never be able to go in that land. And then he said, I'll take Joshua and Caleb and all the children who've come up and I'll tell them that they can take it and they'll have to make that choice. And, uh, but he, he arranges his life around three places. And uh, I want us to look uh, as quickly as we can at those. The first one is, is Kadesh Barnea. That's where they camped and then from there, they sent out the spies into uh, Canaan to see what was there and who was there and what, you know, was there water, was there food, you know, all these kind of things. And we, we start reading in verses uh, 6. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, or Jephunneh, excuse me, he's the son of Jephunneh. Oh, what a name. Uh, the Kenanite said to him, You know the words which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word, I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. In other words, I came back and I told him exactly how I felt based on what I saw. I gave him an an honest report, and I filtered it through my philosophy of life, that I'm a servant of the Lord, and if he wants us to take that land, we'll do it. We'll do it. He was very positive. Uh, 
The other two, nevertheless, and almost I've come to despise that word, or the word but. Uh, some translations say but. This one says, nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. And so ten say, No way. And two say, hey, if that's what God wants us to do, if that's where he wants us to be, let's go take it. Let's wipe it out. And we don't care about the Canaanites and the Kizanites and the Amorites. And we don't care about the termites that are under the ground. It doesn't matter. We've got the Lord. And by the way, the world says that you're a minority. The world says that we are a tiny, tiny minority. But God says one plus him makes you a majority. (laughs) Uh, There is nothing God cannot handle with or for his children. It doesn't matter how many they have. You remember he illustrated that with Gideon. Gideon said, we've got a big army. He said, well, you don't need a big army. And he cut them down to 300. And then with the Lord, they wiped out uh, the enemy. It's not the size of the enemy that's the issue. It's the size of our God. And... Caleb said, hey, we got a God who says if that's our land, let's get them off of it. You know, they're trespassing. And so uh, that, that was a report uh, that, that came. Uh, and that was to be a never forgotten day for Caleb because they stood there back at, in Kadesh Barnea along with the other ten spies and, and they, this, they saw what they saw and they wanted to come back and bring a report to, to Moses. And uh, back in Numbers, where it records what they did, thus they told him and said, we went in to see the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They brought back fruit. Now, if you don't know what the fruit was, in verse 23 of that chapter, They came to the valley of Eskal, and from there they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes. Do you know what a single cluster of grapes is? You can hold it. It's a little cluster. That's a cluster of grapes. Go to the store, you buy that, pay $10. They put it in a plastic bag. But they had a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. That cluster was so big and so heavy, they had to put it on a pole and two men carry it. Have you ever done that at Winn-Dixie? Or, or, you know, I, I, just as a joke for Glenda, I would love to come in one day with two, two of us carrying grapes on a pole and say, you, you, you just have a huge... I mean, the land was that, that fertile. It's unbelievable what they were growing in that land. They keep referring to it as milk and honey, milk and honey, milk and honey, meaning it has all the things that make life great, all the things that make life good. And they showed the evidence. They said, we brought back some of the fruit, and the fruit should have made them go, wow, you know, let's, let's go there. You know, because where we've been, 
We, we got bread and water with, with, the, with the Egyptians. And uh, all, all 12 of them, in verse 28, all 12 had agreed that the land was that way. They said, it is flowing with milk and honey, but nevertheless, they've also got people there. There are people who live in the land, and they're strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, that's the desert, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and the side of the Jordan, and there's probably zillions of termites under the ground. You know, we're not, we don't, we don't, who, I don't care how many grapes there are, I don't care how big they are, we don't want to go there. That, peop, that land is, they'll kill us. They'll, they'll stomp us out. There's no way we can overcome civilization like that. They have fortified cities. They've got jillions of people from all different uh, tribes and all that stuff. And they're living by the sea and by the side of the river Jordan. And so their attitude is, yeah, it's a great land, but we can't, we can't take it. And then Caleb spoke up in, in verse 30 of Numbers 13. Caleb he quieted the people before Moses and he said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it. For we surely will overcome it. And they got to be thinking, are you nuts? You know, what have you been eating or smoking or whatever? There's no way we can take that land. Why is he so confident that they can take it? Because he's got a big God. And his God can do whatever he chooses to do. And so therefore, he said, look, God will enable us to take the land because he has told us that's our land. Now let's go move those people off and let's do what God wants us to do. But the people, uh, they had their report. The men who had gone up with him, they said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had uh, uh, spied out and, and they said this land which we have gone in spying it out is the land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size they are also, they are also we saw the Nephilim and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight and so were we in their sight we thought of ourselves as grasshoppers against these big people. And they also thought, look how small they are. I mean, phew, you know, this is going to be fodder for the cannon. They, were, they couldn't wait until Israel tried to go into that land. And chapter 14 says that the people spent all night weeping and complaining. And the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Uh, they, they said things... Numbers 14.2, would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Anything would, have been, it would be better than us to try to go in that land and move those people out. We'd better off, we're better off going back to Egypt where we were starving. We're better off in the wilderness where there's nothing to eat. Even that would be better than what they're telling us that we ought to do. And they are they're very uh, displeased. And, and so Joshua and Caleb, they encourage um, the people. 
Well, they were so upset, they said, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. In other words, let's dethrone Moses, not Moses, uh, Joshua and Caleb, and let's just elect a new leader who says, hey, we're going home, which meant we're going back where we came from. Having to cross that Red Sea again uh, by the power of God who parted the waters, 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 and allowed them to walk through on, on dry land. Uh, and so we come to verses 8 and 9 of, of Numbers. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he'll bring us into this land and give it to us. This is what Joshua and Caleb are telling the people. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. They were fearing them instead of fearing the Lord. Caleb is saying, hey, they have no protection. God's already decided they're going to go. Their days are numbered, and I want you to go in and get it. They just couldn't see it because their God was too small. The congregation, they they reacted negatively in verses 10 to 12. All the congregation said to to stone them with stones. And then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meetings to all the sons of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. And I will make you into a nation greater and mighty, mightier than they. You know, they, they, they saw God work in Egypt with the plagues, how he delivered his people and brought judgment upon the Egyptians. They saw how he delivered them through the Red Sea, walked through it on dry land. And then when the Egyptians pursued after him, give them a bath. And by the way, uh, archaeologists are finding chariot wheels and things like that at the bottom of that that part of the Red Sea, which only adds to the reality that it was a historical event. That, That happened. But they had seen God work in so many ways to deliver them. And now they're saying, no, no, we we can't go in that land. Nope. No, he's not that big. Uh, The people chose to follow the majority who said, I'd rather go back and starve or rot in the wilderness than go and try to take that land. And so, uh, I think I I missed one. Okay. But in Numbers 24, in contrast to what the majority said, we don't think we ought to go in. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. To the others, they're going to wander in the wilderness until they die. They'll never enjoy the blessing of the land that God had promised to the sons of Abraham. But to, to, to Caleb and Joshua and the new generation, they will go into the land and they will conquer it, And then they'll divide it all up. And that's where we are in in Joshua 14. Uh, We we come uh, to to Joshua 14 and uh, 
uh, Caleb is talking about what happened all those years ago. He said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy. And I brought back word as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren went up, and they made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God. Uh, there is a, a man, his name is Martin uh, Mule. During World War II, uh, he had to deal with uh, the Nazis who were, well, you know what the Nazis were and what they did. Uh, he says this. He says, first the Nazis came for the com communists, and I did not speak up, for I was not a communist. Then the Nazis came for the Jews, and I did not speak up because I was not a Jew. And then the Nazis came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I was not a trade unionist. Then the Nazis came for the Catholics, but I did not speak up because I was a Protestant. Then the Nazis came for me. But by that time, there was no one left to speak for anyone. And listening to that quote, it re reminded me that sometimes people have to accept the challenge to step up and stand up for God, even when the majority is saying, let's go in a different direction. It takes courage. And a part of the courage to do that, as Caleb did, is that you have to have a strong belief in the power of your God. He has to be so big that he could create the, the universe. The world says there is not a God that big. A God could not have done that. It, it, it created itself. And, and that is the most nonsense Every time I hear that word, theistic evolution or evolution, I just think, why in the world do you want to believe a, a fairy tale? Uh, they have no proof. Uh, they cannot duplicate it. They cannot validate it by scientific evidence. Matter of fact, all the evidence, all true scientific evidence, validates that what we are and what we are part of was created by an intelligent being. Uh, there's too much to evidence to show otherwise. It could not have just happened. You can't just have an explosion in a, in a newspaper factory and have the Wall Street Journal out on the street. It doesn't work that way. Intelligent design has to decide what to put in it and the words and how to spell them and what pictures. And When you see that paper for, two, for a dollar, you think, well, that's too much money for a paper. But when you look at it and see what they did, it's an incredible uh, thing that they produced. Uh, but he, contrary, I mean, here was a man who finally said, I'll stand up. I'll stand up. But by that time, <laughs> there was nobody uh, uh, to be with him. Caleb, he said, no. He stood up and said, that land, we can take it by the power of God. And so let's go. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, we know about him. Uh, he is the last book that, that he wrote uh, was called the, the Great Evangelical Disaster. He wrote it in 1984. And he says, truth carries with it confrontation. Truth demands confrontation, loving confrontation, but confrontation nevertheless. If our reflex action is always accommodation, and you could insert compromise, that would be the, the, a synonym, 
If our reflex action is always accommodation, regard, regardless of the centrality of the truth involved, there's something wrong. Compromise was something Caleb was not willing to do. He was not willing to compromise his convictions in order to make the majority report unanimous. And to compromise, he would have had to say, God can't help us on this one. You know, we're on our own, guys, and we're not up to the, to the challenge. Uh, he goes on to say, if there is not loving confrontation, but loving confrontation, and, and I looked that up in the dictionary, and it's not, it's, he made that word up. It's not in the dictionary. I think that what he meant by that, by, by confrontation, is, is a conform, confirmation, conforming, which is compromise, giving in. If there is not loving confrontation, but loving confrontation, and if we do not have the courage to draw lines even when we wish we didn't have to, then history will look back at this time with certain evangelical, uh, when, when certain evangelical colleges went the way of Harvard and Yale. Did you know that Harvard was founded as a Bible college? It's still on the gates, all to the glory of God. Now, it's not a Bible, Bible college any longer. Uh, it's, it's anything but. And all the Ivy League schools, they were founded by Christians to, to minister. Uh, Dartmouth was founded to minister to the Dartmouth Indians. And when Harvard went uh, liberal, then Yale came in and took the place. And then when Yale went liberal, then you had Columbia and all the others. But, but Harvard, the first one, it was a Bible college. And today we laugh at the idea of a Bible college. Grace School of Theology. <laughs> what do you, you want to waste your time with that for? Well, the people that founded Harvard thought it was, wasn't a waste of their time. That was the very purpose of the school being there. Uh, but evangelical college, they went the way of Harvard and Yale when certain evangelical seminaries went the way of Union Seminary in New York. That, was, that started out as a strong evangelical school, and today, when you mention God, they say, who? Who, who are we talking about? And at the, at, the state, at the time when other evangelical organizations were lost to Christ's cause forever. We're seeing that in our generation. We're seeing organizations that have been strong for the Lord for years and years, since their beginning, they're wavering. They're now compromising. Uh, they've determined that, well, maybe the Bible is not inerrant. Maybe uh, only parts of it is the Word of God. By the way, if that's truth, then who knows which parts are and who parts aren't? And guess who knows these people? They'll say, well, I know. I know which parts are and I know which parts aren't. So that the authority of the Bible now is with them, not with the Bible. Whereas we hold up our Bible and say, you know, this is the word of God. They say, well, which part of it? All of it. From Genesis to the maps. He, he, he wrote through 40 authors superintending their thoughts so that they wrote what he wanted to say. And they wrote it reflecting their own personality and all that stuff over a period of 1,500 years. But the authority of the Bible is not me or the elders or somebody else. The authority is here. It's its own authority because it is the word of God. Therefore, it is an authority. But there are churches and seminaries 
in our generation that are saying, no, it had its day, but it's irrelevant now. It, it's, we, we're better off without it, things of that nature. But Caleb, he had the courage to speak up for his convictions because his, he had faith in the power of God. So that's what happened at Kadesh Barnea when they gave the report of the land and chose not to go in the land. Then, verses 10 and 11, he talks about the experience in the wilderness and the conquest. Uh, it says, And now, behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke these 45 years. From the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now, behold, I'm 85 years old today. And I'm still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses, in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and for coming in. This is an 85-year-old man. If I live to be 85, which will really be a, don't bet on me, but if I would get to 85, I'm not going to be looking to enlist and fight a war somewhere. Or even, I don't even want a garden. Just bring me the, the tomatoes with some lettuce, with some uh, salt and pepper on them. <laughs> At 85, you know, I want to just be comfortable and watch something on TV or talk to somebody. Maybe read, read my Bible. But I'm not going to be ready to do. Here's a guy, 85 years old, and he says, I'm as strong now as I was then, and I'm geared up for war and for going out and coming in. I mean, I can pick them up and put them down. I can march, I can run, I can run behind the tanks, or I can run in front of them, or I can drive them. I can do anything, but let's get it going. And Caleb had received two promises. First, his, he, was, he was told that his life would be prolonged. He was told that he would live a long time. He would live to see the conquest of the land that they went in to conquer. And it took time. It took about seven years. They had to deal with Jericho. And that was a beauty because God said, I want you to march around it uh, for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to blow the trumpets. Okay. So they marched around, marched around, and the guys on the wall said, here they come again, these stupid Jews. <laughs> you know, and they're marching around, playing their trumpets. And then they, at the seventh time, they blew the trumpet. <laughs> And archaeologists confirm that all the rubble from the walls is inside, not outside. The whole thing caved in. And then the Jews, Joshua and them, they just walked in and took the gold and the silver and, and buried the dead and all that. Then they had to go to Ai, and they made a mistake there, and it cost them. But they finally got it straightened out. But then they, they conquered the northern part of the land. Then they conquered the southern part of the land. It took time. But finally... It was all done, and Caleb says, I'm 85 years old, but I'm as strong today as I was in the day of Moses. I'm ready for war. I'm ready for going out and coming in. And he had been driven by those promises. God says, not only will you live a long life, but you will inherit the land that was Hebron, which was south of Jerusalem, about 20 miles and that's where they had fought with the Anakim, the, the giants. And God promised to give him that particular land after the conquest. 
And so now here he is. He's kept God's word. He said, God, you let me live, and I have lived just as you promised these extra 45 years. I was 40 when we started. I'm now 85. That was 45 years. And there are a lot of people that just can't wait that long. He had to wait 45 years for the fulfillment of that promise. And how could he do that? Because he was convinced that his God kept his word. And he knew that God would keep him alive, and he knew that he would have a chance to have his land. And these verses, I think, emphasize his faith in the promises of God. He believed when God promised things. God has promised us things. You know one of the promises that I'm, I'm clinging to right now? It's, it's precious to me that one day I will see my son. I know where he is, and one day I'm going to the same place, and I'll see him. Hopefully he has scouted out the river and found a good place for us to put our boat, and you're all invited to fish fries when, when you get there. But a lot of people don't have the patience. They, they can't wait. If they wait that long, they say, it's never going to happen. God just, uh, he, he's forgotten about us. Glenda used to say, we need to take out the garbage before you go to, go to bed. I said, I'll get it. And an hour later, she said, the garbage, remember? I'll say, halftime, Monday night football, at halftime, I'll take it. And finally, it's halftime, and I go to get it, and it's gone. She's already taken it. She gave up. She said, he's not going to do it. Well, he, he waits 45 years. And he's saying, God promised me that land. And he told me I'm going to live. And so I'm going to do everything he told me to do. Because that's my goal, to get to that point where I can say, all right, I want my land. And uh, the thing that sustained Caleb during those weary wilderness wanderings was the promise of God. It had to be tough to be wandering around with all those Jews knowing that all of them were going to die and he was going to survive with the, the young generation and take them into the land to conquer it. But he did what he was told and he endured the wilderness for 40 years because he was claiming the promise of God. And I hope that you and I, as we face our troughs and our peaks, I hope that whether you're down or up, that you're still thinking properly that my God is a God of power. There's nothing he cannot do to me or for me. And he's a God of promise. You can trust and believe what he tells you. He's promised us eternal life if we'll put our faith and trust in his son Christ. He's promised us a joyful life if we'll allow the Spirit of God to control us and to produce the fruit. I've seen God answer so many promises and prayer requests since my son's funeral. His mother was a little, she wasn't sure if she wanted to let go of Riley this coming week for Bible school. So she said, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let him come home. And we were sad. We wanted him to come this week and be a part of Bible school and all that. And she said, no, no, I, I, it's too soon. But next Saturday, we have the a benefit golf tournament and that benefits Riley. All the proceeds go to his education fund. And she said, now, if you want to take him back with you then, that'll be okay. And she doesn't know it yet, but uh, 
What's my son's church, Thad? Ridgecrest. Ridgecrest Baptist Church on Highway 11, they're having their Bible school the week after ours, and they're using the same theme. So it'll be the same thing that week, and uh, his cousins will be there and all that. So God has a way of, of, of working things out, and we're just not going to tell her uh, yet. Yet. We, we will tell her eventually, but we, we won't tell her, her yet. Uh, we got the call about Andrew's death at 2 o'clock in the morning, and at uh, 4 o'clock or 3 o'clock, we were supposed to wake up and get ready to go to the hospital for Glenda's surgery. What if she would have been in surgery and then the call comes? Glenda would not have been able to go to Georgia. Not, not only not that day, but she would have not, not been able to go for weeks because of the, the therapy and all that. So the Lord saw fit to notify us so that we could call the hospital and say, we're canceling the surgery. We'll do it. It'll be the 25th of June. God is an awesome God, and we can trust him. Uh, and he goes before us, and he takes out the ba- barriers and makes possible the things that he wants done and the things that we're asking him uh, to do. And Caleb had faith in the promise of God. He claimed them. He lived by them, and they strengthened him. And I hope uh, that as you face your troughs and peaks, that it won't uh, make any difference in your perspective about God. I can trust him when I'm down. I can trust him when I'm up. And I'll praise him both ways. I will always praise him. Because if I don't praise him, do you know what the alternative is? You will praise yourself. Life will revolve around you. You will become the central focus of life. And that's wrong. God wants you to praise him. Everything in life is designed to bring glory to him. Paul said, no matter what you do, 1 Corinthians 10.31, no matter what you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the measure of of our our lives. F.B. Meyer He used to sign his letters, uh, yours to count on, F.B. Meyer. And uh, as you read the scriptures and read what God has promised you, just remind yourself that God is saying, yours to count on. If he writes it, it's true. You can believe it and obey it. And God blesses obedience in the Christian life. One of my favorite verses is Romans 4.16. I love this verse. It says, for this reason, it is by faith. The it is salvation. For this reason, salvation is by faith. That it might be in accordance with grace. Because faith and grace work together. (laughs) In order that the promise may be certain. It may be certain. I mean, etch it in stone. If God says, I will, bring, I will give you eternal life if you put your trust in my son, that is to be believed with certainty. But if God says, you want to go to heaven? Well, you've got to have a perfect attendance pen from your church. Uh, you have to be baptized at least three different times. Uh, you've got to do this, do that, don't do this, don't do this. And everybody has their own book of rules. And who has the one that, that tells us exactly how much you have to do to be good enough to go? The Bible doesn't talk about being good enough to go. The Bible talks about being bad, but you're forgiven because Christ 
went to the cross because he loved you that much that he took your sin on him. Isn't it great? And we can trust the promises of God. And so he says, this is the reason it's by faith, that it might be according with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, meaning Jews. See, Jews will not be saved by the law. They never were and they never will. Jews are saved by putting their faith and trust in Christ. He is their Messiah and their Savior. So he's talking about those who are of the the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. That's Gentiles. We don't have a physical link to Abraham. We're not Jewish by by blood, but we are are sons of Abraham by faith. Because Abraham was was faith. Uh, When he believed God, Genesis 15, God reckoned it to him as righteousness. God reckoned his faith as righteousness. And so we fall, we're the sons of Abraham because we, we, we did what he did. We put our faith and trust in God instead of trying to claim how good we are. And when I stood at the grave, it was such a comfort to know that Andrew's salvation was certain because it wasn't based on what he had to do. It was based on what he had to believe because the doing was done by Christ on the cross. There's nothing to do. There's just to believe and accept the gift. And if you get this eternal life through no merit of your own, then you cannot forfeit it by your own merit, by your own sin. I say it jokingly, but you come to Christ, you're going to go to heaven whether you like it or not. You may go kicking and screaming, but you're going because you are a child of God. You may need discipline, but you're a child of God. I love that verse. It's by faith that it might be accordance with grace that the promise may be certain. God's not up there saying, well, I hope somebody does enough good works to come. We got enough food prepared and lots of residences, lots of uh, condos. God knows exactly who's coming because it's based on faith. And, And it's a done deal. It's not a process. You're not still trying to, to, to finish it out. It's done. Either you are or you are not a child of God. And somebody that says, well, I'm almost there. To be almost there is to be lost. You're either saved or you're lost. Either one. And you haven't put your faith in Christ, faith in Christ yet. I'm, I'm going to do that one day, but, but, but not now. Well, you're lost, and you're vulnerable. If you die today, you're not going where believers go. You'll never see him or the Lord again. Your eternity is going to be the worst nightmare of your life. It's not worth delaying the, delaying the decision. Do it now. Make the decision now. Um, all right, back to, back to my notes here. Um, Jew and Gentile, both saved by grace through faith. That's a, that's a great, great truth, great promise that you can believe. We're saved by grace through faith. Uh, finally, we go to Hebron. That's the land that he was given, Hebron, verses 12 and 13. And uh, it says, now then, he says, give me the hill, this hill country. I'm 85 years old. I'm stronger than most of you guys. 
I'm ready to go to war if I have to, but give me that land about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim was there and great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me. And that's not wishful thinking. He knows the Lord will be with him. He's almost kind of joking. I don't care how bad they are. Guess who's going to be on my side? Guess who's going with me? The Lord God of heaven who created the heavens and the earth. He says, I shall drive them out as the Lord has spoken. It'll just be another walk in the park. Now, he's not bragging or, or, or boasting. He's claiming the reality that I can do this with the help of my God. And this is the land that he wants me to have. And I don't care how old I am, give me my land. And I want to have it right now. Um, someone has said that you can tell the size of, a man, of the man by the size of the thing he attacks or requests. And, and Caleb was a big man because he requested big things. He took on an assignment that few men would, would volunteer for. But he said, my God is powerful, and I'm claiming the promises that he gave, and here I am, and I know that he will be with me. His faith was in the presence of God. His faith was in the power of God. His faith was in uh, the, the promise of God, and his faith was in the presence of God. He said, perhaps the Lord will be with me, as though he wouldn't. I mean, he's been with me every step of the way so far, so I know that we're going in, we're going in together, and we're going to win. And the next chapter tells us that he did. He went in there, he cleaned all those people out. That became his land for his descendants. And uh, what a great, great end to the story. But how do you explain a man like Caleb? Uh, he was an unsung hero. You know, he doesn't get a lot of li a, a limelight. And yet, here's a man who uh, has no rival in terms of the magnitude of his faith. Uh, there's nothing that deterred him all through his life, through the troughs and the peaks, he always had his eyes on God. And uh, you know, it's one thing to be strong, but it's another thing to not act strong. And a lot of people start out strong as, as children of God, but then they just get derailed. They just wander away, and they lose sight of their God. They lose sight of his power, his promises, and his presence. That wasn't Caleb. Um, there, are, there are three passages that maybe give us insight as to what kind of man he was. I didn't emphasize them until now. Uh, but, um, well, I, this is J. Hudson Taylor who founded China Inland Mission. Uh, he said that every great endeavor has three stages. First stage, it's impossible. Second stage, it's difficult. Third stage, it's done. <laughs> uh, we experience that here. The merger. It, it, you know, it was easy to, to pray and say, okay, we agree to merge. But it, it's like a surgeon. We had to connect a lot of blood vessels and arteries and you know, bring two, thing, two living things together and make them one. A, lo a lot of work. And we just trusted God. We felt that this was what he wanted us to be doing. And we knew that he was powerful enough, and we knew that, that uh, 
we could trust the, the leading that we were sensing from the Spirit of God, and we just started. We just started doing the first thing, and then the second thing. But we renovated this building, and then we built another whole building, and we spent uh, close to $4 million, by the way, if you didn't know it. But we only had to, only had to uh, borrow about 700000 The rest of it was paid with cash that you provided, and we never even offered an offering plate. <laughs> but that was, that was remarkable. People gave because God was putting it into their heart to give to accomplish what seemed to be impossible. And now here we are, Merge Church, and we're in a great location, and we have visitors today, and we, we welcome you. I wish uh, we could tell you in one service all we want, but I, I got to quit. Uh, but uh, Caleb, on Father's Day, as we think of great men, men that I'd like to be like, I'd like to be like Caleb. Uh, verse 8, it says, I followed the Lord my God. In verse 9, you have followed the Lord my God fully. That is being said of him by Joshua. In verse 14, because he followed the Lord, of, uh, Lord God of Israel fully. Not halfway, whole way. Totally committed, all in, whatever you want to say. And uh, uh, what a great, great man he was. He wasn't a, sh- a showy man. He, he didn't get the limelight. He just did what God wanted him to do, and he accomplished what we would call a miracle at age 85. I mean, to be a part of conquering that land and then dividing it up and and, and, uh, taking it. Caleb, he was God's grand old man. He was a man of faith, faith in the power of God, faith in the promises of God, and faith in the presence of God. Matthew 28, you know, we, we, that's our commission. Go ye and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Never forget, he's with us. He's with us. Even when we're in the trough, he's with us. And we can trust him to care for us. And to use that to benefit Bring something positive out of it. I can't, I don't have time to tell you the positive things already that have come from our sons going to heaven. Being able to share the gospel with them at that funeral service. Being able to talk with them privately. I had people come and say, I've never ever heard the gospel so simply stated. And she said, I, 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 looked, I looked in, in, in the Bible and that's, that's what it says. She says, I wasn't taught that. I wasn't taught that. And so people uh, heard the gospel and, and all these great things. God is looking for men and women, whether it be Birmingham or Trustful or Clay or Pinson, Springdale or Irondale. He's looking for men and women who will emulate Caleb, who while moving through life and facing its troughs and its peaks will be like him, who followed God wholeheartedly wholeheartedly. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the example of this remarkable man who lived so long ago in Old Testament times. He didn't stand in the glare of the limelight to the degree that his compatriot and companion Joshua did, but he was faithful. 
He believed in your word. He claimed it. He lived his life on the basis of what it taught him about his God. He was a wholehearted follower of you. And Lord, we do observe as many half-hearted people. We see those who seem to be preoccupied with other things. And we pray that we may be single-minded, that we may be wholehearted in our walk with you and in our service for you. Make us like Caleb, Lord, men and women who will not measure our lives with a clock or a trophy case or a bank account, but will measure our lives by how fully we have followed you until you return. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Pronounce your name above all names. Feel the name above all names. You're worthy of all praise. My heart will sing how great is our God. Oh, we'll see how. 